Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, you turn to John chapter 6. John 6. If, you're, if you have a device, you can just go to the ESV version. You can stay tracking with us there. So if you're joining us uh, for the first time this week, welcome. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us in the warehouse this morning. Uh, we're, we're coming off some really outrageous uh, statements that Jesus made last year in John chapter 6, uh, in the verses of the 40s and the 50s, in that whole range that we looked at last week, where uh, he said in verse 52, if you're just finding your way there, uh, he said in verse 50, uh, 53, actually, he said, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And so last week we discussed what Jesus was getting at, what he was talking about. He, he certainly wasn't like leaning into cannibalism, right? That was not what he was trying to push forward as a, as a new doctrine for the church. But he was trying to explain that in him contained everything that was necessary for transformation, for spiritual life. And the people that he was communicating this with, they, they just weren't, they weren't receiving it. They were not... Uh, getting it. He was saying, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Then he finishes in 58 by saying, this is the bread that came down from, from heaven. So as we look all the way back into the Old Testament, we see that the, the Jews were very, very stuck on this concept of the fact that Moses, they said, had provided them with bread from heaven. This was the, the miracle that was performed uh, with their fathers from way back in the day during the Exodus when God delivered them from Egyptian oppression. And Jesus was trying to point out, hey, I am the fulfillment of what that bread represented. People who ate that bread eventually died. What you need to do for eternal life is eat of, of the bread that I provide in myself. You need to drink the blood that I will be shedding on the cross for the remission of your sins. This is what you need. And he didn't give us a second option and he didn't give the people a third option. And so this is what we see Jesus saying and what we're gonna be seeing today as we pick up in verse 60 is the offense that these words caused the people, and not just people, but his own disciples heard as he spoke these words. So we pick right up in verse 60, and it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those uh, were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. 
He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. This is our word from the Lord today. I don't know if this bumper sticker uh, even exists anymore, but I remember um, years ago um, as, as I was driving you know, around Southern California, um, it was pretty popular to see this on the back of people's cars. And it said this, it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Does anybody ever, anybody ever see that? One of you, thank, thanks, Scott. Um, well, back in them there parts that I came from, you saw it all over the place. I, I, in fact, now that I'm saying that, I almost wonder if it was kind of more associated with uh, the churches that we were a part of, which was a pretty big movement there. Um, but that was the bumper sticker. It said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And on one hand, we can, you know, we can read that charitably, and we can say, yes, I want to be firm in my faith. I want to hold fast to the truth of God's word uh, without wavering, you know. Um, if, he does, if he says it, I do want to believe it, you know. Um, but I think the larger problem with that phrase is that it leaves no room for the tension that we live in as human beings who, who need to work out our salvation, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling like Paul instructed the, the church, the Philippian church in, in chapter two. Living in tension, being somebody who holds to the faith, but living in tension of that faith, it, it requires things of us that we're not so comfortable with. It, it requires us to ask questions. It requires us to wrestle through doubts and to actually be humbled through the difficulty that comes with following Jesus and believes the gospel because a lot of difficulty comes with that. And that's what we're, we're seeing here as we pick up here in verse 60 is that there is difficulty in the words of Jesus and we see it in the way that even his own disciples were receiving those words. A better bumper sticker would probably be something along these lines. God said it. I believe it, and now I'm super unsettled because of it, right? That would probably be the most accurate bumper sticker that we could have that would sort of like take that and do a little bit of a, a reframing. And last week, again, we, uh, as I, as I re uh, read a minute ago, we read the words of Jesus where he said this. He said, I am the bread who came down from heaven, and you, you must, you must receive me all of me. And he framed it like this. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to have eternal life. And those were hard words for his disciples to receive because they were eternal words. They were different than the words that you and I speak to each other, that you can just sort of take or leave at any given time, right? This is my preference. This is kind of what I think about this. Hey, I suggest maybe we do this. Or hey, how about we go here? Or how about we make this decision? And with all of those kind of words that we speak, they're sort of a, yeah, sure, or nah, you know? Um, they don't contain a particular quality that the words of Jesus contain, which is that Jesus' words are eternal. And because of that, Jesus entered a pivotal moment in his ministry here when many of his disciples decided to just pack it up and leave because these words were too hard for them to receive. And what we noticed is that Jesus insists on dealing with the spiritual dilemma of our lives. Jesus insisted 
of dealing with the spiritual dilemma of their life, not the social dilemma of their life, which is really what they wanted to go after, which is really what they were far more interested in Jesus dealing with. Jesus is always going after what's going on in our hearts, right? He's saying, look, the implications of, of thinking this, of believing this, of adopting this, of, of holding to this, that is what actually motivates everything that you do. And we go, yeah, but that's having to go too deep. I just want you to deal with the things that can be changed so that I don't have to propel into the depths of what's really going on. Jesus comes to us and says, you have a spiritual dilemma. And we go, yeah, I know, I guess. But what I'm most concerned about is the social dilemma of my life. All the stuff I can see, all the stuff that somebody can actually come in and actually maybe kind of flip and change. Jesus goes, but that's not why I came. The problem was that these disciples didn't want to live in the spiritual tension that came with following Jesus. They wanted Jesus, they just wanted Jesus to become king. They wanted him to make new laws that would create a society that they longed for. It wasn't bad that they longed for a better society either, but that wasn't, that wasn't the reason why Jesus came. They wanted a leader who would offer them easy words to live by, right? And we struggle with that desire too. We're, we're not so eager to wrestle through the spiritual tensions of the Christian life that are contained in the eternal words of, of Jesus. We want something sweeter. We want something more sugary. We want, we want the Flintstone vitamins of the Christian life, right? We, we want the vitamin C gummy bears of the Christian life. But at some point, to be a follower of Jesus... It means that we embrace the uncomfortable nature of Jesus' words if we desire to be on the path that leads to rejoicing, right? And that's something that we see today as we look at this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. And so what I want to look at is what does this exchange show us about the power of Jesus' words? What does it show us about the eternal quality of Jesus's words. And the first thing that it shows us is that Jesus's words trouble our sense of belief. They trouble our sense of belief. When Jesus told his disciples that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood to have eternal life, he didn't provide a list of more palatable secondary options in case they didn't like Jesus's definition, in case that definition didn't fit their definition of what it meant to be a disciple. It was a hard saying. It was hard for them to receive this, right? It's hard for us to receive this if we just try to dive down as deep as we can and understand what Jesus is saying and understand the implication of what it means to actually believe and receive that. This is a hard saying is what some of his disciples said. Mike Chan said this the other day. He said, these were not fluffy thoughts. Man, I'm telling you, that's high theology right there. I loved that. These are not fluffy thoughts that Jesus is just sort of like throwing out there, right, for us just to sort of grab when it works and have it just kind of form fit our hands and make us feel just good about where we're at and what we're doing. These are words that force our souls into a place of tension and decision and at times division, right? 
The disciples who were with Jesus up to this point, they were not prepared for what it meant to follow Jesus to the depths that Jesus was actually calling them to follow him. And it just causes us to think, what is the question then that lies before us? Well, the question before an unbelieving world and a believing church, by the way, uh, is kind of the same thing. It always comes down to this. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? If his words are true, then it means they contain all the ingredients necessary for life and for godliness, as Paul instructed Timothy. Which means this, by believing those words, you enter into a life where the only plan, and by the way, the only backup plan, is trusting Jesus in all circumstances. Becoming increasingly dependent on him. And becoming increasingly deeper in your love for him and becoming increasingly deeper in your love toward your neighbor. Those are the results. So the option is, do you believe Jesus? And the results are, there is going to be an increasing level of fruit in your life that comes through the maturity of sanctification that you're going to experience as you pursue him and you reject the other pursuits in your life that he has actually saved you from being enslaved to, right? There is just not a second option when it comes to following Jesus and obeying his words. That's why the saying is so hard. That's why the saying is so hard. By the way, there, there are multiple options in a ton of other areas in your life. I mean, look at all the other areas of your life. Look at your friends and your, 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 your career, your school, right? Your spouse, not after you have a spouse, before you have a spouse, where to live, what to drive, what to wear, what to eat, what, who to vote for, what kind of entertainment to enjoy. I mean, you have options, right? You have freedom in those things. We have a lot of neutral options. But the words of Jesus, they trouble us. They trouble our sense of belief because they get deep into our spiritual pores and they force us to wage war against the passions of the flesh, which, by the way, are beliefs, right? Those passions of the flesh, those things that kind of pull you away from the things of God, those are just beliefs, right? What they are doing is they are saying, this is the best life for me to pursue. That's what those things are at the end of the day. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to bend into. That's what I want to lean towards, so all those passions of the flesh, all those words in your life that are not eternal, but just have eternal consequences, right? They're just beliefs. They're just what you think is the thing that's going to provide you with some level of happiness that you are not experiencing or that you won't experience if you actually believe the words of Jesus and pursue him, right? We're told in verse 66 that many walked away because to follow the Jesus that Jesus described himself to be, not the one that was most convenient, most comfortable, most safe, most appealing, was impossible unless their beliefs had been transformed by the spirit and the truth of his words. Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Jesus, remember when Jesus told that to the woman at the well, when we were back in John chapter four, there, there has to be a heart change 
in order to embrace the truth of Jesus' words. He says in verse 65, he says, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So this is the spiritual change that only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit and what only he is able to produce in you. And when this change occurs, your sense of belief, by the way, will be continually troubled. It will be continually troubled. It's the people that walked away from Jesus that didn't want to deal with the tensions of the faith anymore. They didn't want their soul to be troubled by the hard things that Jesus was communicating to them, right? If you, if you narrow down your Christianity to merely a God said it, I believe it, that settles it place, you are shutting yourself off from the growth that comes with wrestling through the good tensions of the Christian faith. They're good tensions. They're good tensions, right? Let me say it like this. It should not concern you if you wrestle in your faith. It should concern you if you never do, right? The people who walked away, they didn't want to wrestle. They didn't want Jesus to say, like he said in John 16, in this world, you will what? Have trouble. They didn't want to deal with that. They wanted what's sometimes called an easy beliefism. Just give us what we want, Jesus. Tell us what we want to hear, right? So the words of Jesus, they trouble our sense of belief. That is the eternal quality that they have and they're supposed to, right? Second thing they do is they confront us with the eternal they confront us with the eternal. The disciples took offense at Jesus' words because they were confronted with the eternal quality of them. They were confronted with the consequences of not following him in the way that he was laying out to them in which they were to follow him. Jesus tells them in verse 63, he says, look, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, Right? You have to understand these things through spiritual eyes. What does he mean by the flesh is no help at all? Well, Paul describes it in Romans 8, verse 5, where he says, those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For, listen to what he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can. Those who are in the flesh can't please God, Paul says. So until, until God's spirit confronts and transforms a person's mind, they cannot truly please God and obey his laws with the right motivations. They can obey God's law, but it's not just about obeying God's law. It's about, it's about obeying God's law with a heart that has been changed to do it out of a motivation of love and gratefulness for God. There's a huge difference, right, between those two things. Paul says they have a mind that is hostile to God, right, because it is a mind still being ruled and controlled by the flesh instead of the eternal words of Jesus. In other words, a mind that doesn't know Jesus 
is not able to love and serve Jesus. A mind that, that doesn't know Jesus is not being confronted with the eternal words of Jesus in a way that is changing and transforming them on the inside, which is what happens after you've been saved. Those eternal words, they start having an eternal effect, effect on your heart and on your mind. But until that happens, there's no way for that to happen, right? So in, in other words, I, I could not love and serve Melissa until I knew her. How could I do that, right? Before I was introduced to her, she was just a girl with amazing curly hair that ignored me at church on Sunday, right? Until I got to know her, until she knew me, um, there was no way for me to be affected by her words. There was no way for me to love her, to serve her in those ways. Jesus' words, they confront you. That's the, that's the eternal quality that they possess. They're confronting you right now. They're confronting me right now. They confront you with the state of your soul. They are confronting you right now with where your soul is at with Jesus. They are confronting you right now with where your soul is at when it comes to where you'll spend eternity. This is why Peter's response here to Jesus' question was so important. It was so vital when we get to verses 67 through 69. Jesus asked this question. He says, do y'all want to go away? As well? Do you, do you all want to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? In verse 68, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's answer shows the transformation that had happened in his heart and mind for him to be able to answer the way that he did. It wasn't just about getting the words right either, right? Because anybody can say the right words. Anybody can say, sure, I believe in God. Great guy, that Jesus fellow, right? There were people that did that. There are people that still do that. Peter's words back to Jesus acknowledge the eternal effect that Jesus' words had had on him. And here's how we know that, because we don't want to miss how Peter calls Jesus, what does he say? The Holy One of God, because that is what was different with Peter and the Twelve compared with those who walked away. That is what the other disciples who bailed on Jesus couldn't get their heads wrapped around, right? If Jesus is truly the Holy One of God, then believing uh, or not believing his words, they, they both have earth-shattering consequences, and by the way, Judas Iscariot is, is just the, the craziest and scariest of all the cautionary tales in the world for those who hang out with Jesus without believing his words. It's so, so, it's so sobering for us when we consider Judas Iscariot, right? Jesus, Judas was confronted with the eternal words of Jesus, just like they all were. And yet, he didn't walk away like the other disciples. He stayed. He stayed with the 12 while simultaneously denying the power of Jesus Christ. And yet, one of you is a devil, Jesus says. Those words, they, they just, they feel, they're, they're so like heavy. They, they feel like this pivotal scene in a book. 
or a movie, right, where we, we learn who the bad guy is. They just kind of, they, they just sort of suspend there. Judas was confronted with the eternal words of Jesus for three years, but he wanted something else. He wanted something easier. He wanted something more. Judas wanted to be paid. He wanted a more successful life than what knowing Jesus included. He didn't walk away with the other disciples. He stuck, stuck around until that moment came for him to show where his heart was really at. That's really sobering for us to think about that, right? Because on one hand, we could just go, well, those guys bailed, but I'm more like the 12. I'm sticking it out. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm sticking it out. That must be proof that I'm, I'm in with Jesus. It wasn't proof for Judas. He ends up bailing in the end. It's so sobering for us. It ended so tragically for Judas. And this is the, the danger of embracing a Jesus that never challenges you with his words. So dangerous for us, right? Tim Keller uh, says, is this great, he has this great quote where he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. But for those who do let the words of Jesus trouble them, for those who do let the words of Jesus trouble their sense of belief and remain confronted with the eternal, well, like these 12 disciples or these 11 disciples, they're called to a deepening faith, which is our final point. The words of Jesus, the eternal words of Jesus, they call us to a deepening faith. If you really consider what happened to the lives of the disciples who remained with Jesus, you you can't help but be filled with just, like we said before, just a kind of measure of sobriety, right? These are people who were, they were absolutely changed. They were absolutely transformed by the words of Jesus. But they were also men who counted the cost for what this transformation called them to, right? Jesus very graciously reminds them in verse 70. This is such a gracious line for Jesus uh, to give these disciples. And we don't want to miss it because it's one of these things that you would just glide over. But he said, did I not choose you, the 12? How many times would those words need to encourage these brothers as they serve Jesus in just the least ideal of circumstances? just the most unimaginable circumstances of what ministry and their lives uh, ended up living out and looking like after Jesus ascended back to heaven. How, how would these words encourage you this morning? If you are somebody who has been saved by God's grace, it's as if Jesus is looking at you right now, mirroring those words. Did I not choose you? Right? Did I not choose you, Kyle Gordon? Right? Did I not choose you, Gloria Snook? Did I not choose you, Mike Martinelli? Did I not choose you? Let me reassure you, I did. 
It's a rhetorical question, right? Did I not choose you? This means you will not be among those who take offense at his word. This means that you will not turn back and no longer walk with him. This means you will not try to avoid, but actually grow through the tensions of the Christian life because you have come to believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. You've come to understand that that recognition from Peter about who Jesus was means everything. And in those moments of wrestling with the tensions of the Christian faith that we see literally every woman and every man in this book wrestle with, you will experiencing a deepening faith. You will not have a shallow faith. You will not have a faith that just wants to tuck yourself away and say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But you will say, Lord, I have to embrace what it is that you say in here because it goes counter to what my flesh is still trying to convince me of. It's true, but in actuality is not true. It goes counter to what the culture is always trying to deliver me. But I know that it's not true and it's a battle and I'm waging war. But you are the Holy One of God. Your words are eternal. Did you not choose me to be your son and to be your daughter? When we embrace that, we experience a deepening faith. This is what a deepening faith will mean for you based on these passages. Number one, it means that the hard words of Jesus will soften you toward Jesus. So interesting about Peter's response, right? There was a grumbling and an irritation with the disciples that bailed on Jesus. And yet we see Peter softening towards Jesus, moving in towards Jesus, reasoning with Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking? What do you mean are we going to go? Where would we go, right? And that's a place of deepening faith in your life. When you look around, you consider your life. You consider what God saved you from and out of. You adopt a posture of the heart that is constantly saying, Jesus, where else would I go? Like, what do you, what do you, like, where else is there to go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. We lean in to Jesus, even when his words cause us to doubt and wrestle and struggle. So a deepening faith means that the hard words of Jesus soften you toward Jesus. Secondly, it means that the person of Jesus will become your, your greatest pursuit. What Peter was saying here at the very end was, We're not going to be chasing chasing after anybody else. All those pursuits that we used to chase when we were in all these different vocations that you called us out of Jesus, we're, we're not going back to those things. We're pursuing you. We believe your words. We believe that you are the one that God sent to save the world. And we are going to make you our greatest pursuit. And then finally... A deepening faith means that the promises of Jesus 
will protect you in your doubts. The promises of Jesus will protect you in your doubts. Did I not choose you? Are you not mine? Jesus is constantly reassuring us with those words. Did I not call you? Did the Father not grant you to me? Nobody can take you out of my hand. We talked about this last week. The beautiful security that we have knowing that we are safe and secure in the arms and the hands of Jesus Christ. That, that is what a deepening faith means for us. Those are the realities for us so that we can live a life within the tensions of the Christian faith. We can be okay with being confronted with the eternal quality of Jesus' words. And we can say, this doesn't make sense, and I don't like this, but Jesus, I'm going to press into what you're saying. I want those words to become ingrained in me so that I can become more like you. And we get this beautiful deepening reassurance because of that. So instead of running the other way because Jesus is offensive, because Jesus says words that cause us to say, man, that's just straight up hard. That's a life that's going to be difficult for me to live in a world that's saying, why on earth would you live that life? Why are you sticking with that guy? Why are you with this antiquated religion? How can you believe these things? I mean, do you guys even know what the word science means? So we take these words of Jesus because we believe he's the Holy One of God and we let them cause us to grow in our sense of belief, always being challenged, always struggling, always persevering because he is that good to stay with us. Did he not choose you, Substance Church? Let's pray. God, I thank you for choosing this church to be an outpost of hope, proclamation of praise to you, Lord. I pray that you would help us in our doubts. I pray that you would allow us grace to not run from the tensions that the Christian life brings to us. That, Lord, we would not be people that are offended by your words, but we would be like Peter, where your, your words that are very hard sometimes soften us towards you, that, Lord, you become the greater pursuit in our life. We want to remain. We want to stand firm. We want to be protected by you and persevere, even in our doubts, knowing that you use our doubts to strengthen our faith. Remembering doubt is not the enemy of faith. So, God, we pray that you would do this work in us as we struggle as we are like all men and women who struggle in our faith, who struggle to believe the words of Jesus. But Lord, we trust you. We trust that Jesus is the Holy One of God who was sent by the Father to live, to die, and to rise again so that we would have freedom in Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would embrace that and that you would walk with us and help us in all the things that, Lord, we desperately need your help in. We thank you for that. Praise you for it.
Christ's name. Amen.